0: Ensemble will bless you all with song, and we all ask that you will pray for the word of God that will be shared immediately after their gift of song. We serve an awesome God who is just absolutely incredible, and I'm so appreciative of our praise team, our adult ensemble, and how they have blessed us with their gift of song. I want to, if I could, call your attention to the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 46. John chapter 8, verse 46. And I will read one verse for your hearing at this time. John chapter 8, verse 46. The words of Jesus says, from the New King James Version of Scripture, which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Let me, if I could, share with you from the message translation. Can any one of you convict me of a single misleading word, a single sinful act? But if I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? I want to preach for the time that is mine, eight 46. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. 8, 46. Eight minutes and 46 seconds has become a rallying cry. It was the published time of affliction on George Floyd's black body. On May the 25th, 2020, when four Minneapolis police officers arrested him after a convenience store employee called 911 and told police officers that Floyd had bought cigarettes with a counterfeit $20 bill. While there has been some discrepancies about the actual length of time, 846, has become symbolic of the brutality inflicted upon the body of George Floyd by Derek Chauvin. Derek Chauvin, a white police officer, placed his knee on the neck of George Floyd for eight minutes and 46 seconds. Regardless of how long his knee was on his neck, it was long enough to kill him It was long enough to execute him. It was long enough to murder him. Derek Chauvin was captured on camera with his knee on George Floyd's neck while he had his hand in his pocket, being nonchalant with an I don't care smug attitude. Derek Chauvin's look of smugness coupled with his apparent arrogance, demonstrates a disregard for the humanity of George Floyd. George Floyd told Chauvin he could not breathe. As he urinated on himself, you could see the stream of water coming from underneath the police car. As he foamed at the mouth and as he called for his deceased mother with his last breath. ESPN reporter Maria Taylor nailed it on the head when she said, my patience left my body when I watched George Floyd take his last breath. End of quote. Regardless of the dispute about how long Chauvin's knee was on George Floyd's neck, 846 is a symbolism in this current climate. There is a display of righteous indignation and holy anger against police brutality, systemic racism, and white supremacy. Nearly two months later, we see how his untimely death has become cataclysmic for this country and our world. George Floyd's death, along with the deaths of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and now Elijah McClain have prompted a moment of movement on a scale not seen since the 1960s. There has been a major shift socially, culturally, racially, and economically that is prompting an upheaval, a reckoning. This upheaval is not the destruction of the United States Constitution. This upheaval is not a dismantling of the Declaration of Independence. What we are witnessing at this moment in American society, which has reverberated around the globe, is a deconstruction of the faulty premise, an unsound foundation on which the high and lofty ideas of our founding documents were framed. Racism, white patriarchy, white supremacy, sexism, and even classism have been the crooked and disjointed pillars for which our nation was forged. The unfortunate reality is that it has taken us nearly 400 years to really grapple with America's original sin, which has created a significant birth defect that has yet to be corrected. What we have done well is put a Band-Aid here, get a little cosmetic surgery there, and took a tranquilizing drug called assimilation and integration to dull the pain of malignant neglect. Nevertheless, African Americans suffer disproportionately in this country from poverty, low academic achievement, Health disparities, political disenfranchisement, voter suppression, and mass incarceration, just to name a few of our societal ills. Michelle Alexander, in her seminal work, The New Jim Crow, says, and I quote, The unfortunate reality we must face is that racism manifests itself not only in individual attitudes and stereotypes but also in the basic structure of society, end of quote. Unfortunately, the systemic racism that proliferates our institutions and permeates our culture has been walking hand in hand with Western Christianity and the American white church, with one arm being the evangelical conservative and the other arm being the charismatic tongue speaker who have engaged to the point of being complicit in the transatlantic slave trade and or sustaining segregation. So now we find ourselves in 2020 with a variety of ethnic hues and races out in the streets protesting Black Lives Matter. Yet there are those who will counter All Lives Matter. However, those who want to say All Lives Matter... Cannot say this phrase with honesty, because if black lives really mattered, then all lives would matter, but since black lives don't matter, then all lives don't matter. Like the real President Barack Obama said, and I quote, the reason that the organizers use the phrase black lives matter is not because they are suggesting that no one else's lives matter, Rather, what they are suggesting was there is a specific problem that is happening in the African-American community that's not happening in other communities, and this is the legitimate issue that we have to address. The African-American community is not just making this up, it's real, and there's a history behind it, and we have to take it seriously, end of quote. The reason there is this counter-narrative about racism, which is being spewed from the various segments of American society, is because they don't want to believe the truth about our history, our sins, and our racial constructs. These people who disregard the cries and pleas of black people do not believe we are telling the truth. And even though they have perpetuated hellish acts and hideous exploit against black and brown people through slavery, through stealing Native Americans' land, economic exploitations, lynching, murders, and other atrocities against black and brown people, we still find ourselves standing, and when they knock us down, we come back stronger. I'm amazed though at how black people remain resilient, resolved, resolute, and ready to fight for freedom, to lift our voices in protest, and to articulate demands against oppression, and to be vigilant in the struggle for change and redemption. I'm in awe of how we're seeking equality, not revenge, how we're looking for opportunity, not tragedy. How we're looking for fairness and not a fight. But like Jesus, no one wants to believe us. This is what you have to understand about John chapter 8, verse 46. To appreciate 846, you got to know what has happened prior. The Pharisees have questioned Jesus' paternity because they wanted to know where he come from. They were trying to figure out who was his father, because it would be the basis for them nailing down his flaws and shortcomings. If they could identify who his daddy is, then they could label him as being off his rocker. If they could find out who his pop was, they could tear down the pedigree they felt was necessary to do philosophical battle and theological warfare with Jesus. The Pharisees were making the claim, we're descendants of Abraham, who's the father of the faithful. We're in the lineage of the greatest king of Israel, King David. We're the offspring of royalty and majesty. But Jesus lets them know how he goes back even further than David and Abraham. Jesus makes the statement, before Abraham was, I am. That messed them up because Jesus is between the age of 30 to 33. So how can he be before Abraham? Jesus knew who he was. They did not know who Jesus was. And since they did not know who Jesus was, then it was certain they did not know who God was. And if they did not know who God was, then their identity is in question because they have been connected to a false understanding of their history heritage and holiness the paternity of Jesus or more importantly where Jesus comes from is a subject matter that's keeping them on their heels Jesus established his credibility by informing them that he is totally dependent upon God so what started out as a trial of Jesus's fraternity ends up with Jesus creating a crisis for the Pharisees who were listening to his words. In fact, Jesus tells them, God is not your father, neither is Abraham your father, but the devil. And the devil was a killer from the beginning, and the devil is the father of lies. And when your father is a liar, you can't even recognize truth when it stares you in the face. So instead of embracing truth, You'd rather kill truth. So why is truth so disregarded? I want to submit to you a couple of things and then I'll bid you adieu. First of all, some people who hear the truth don't like the person who tells them the truth. In the text, the Pharisees had some serious issues with the person, personhood, and personality of Jesus Christ. In their perfect little world, They were in charge. In their perfect little world, they had people dancing and prancing to their religious dogma and ritual. They dictated the spiritual status quo. Their issue with Jesus was demonstrated in his interpretation of the Torah and their religious rituals, which had become rather tedious and even oppressive. The Pharisees did not like the fact that Jesus had been healing on the Sabbath. Pharisees did not like the fact of how Jesus and his disciples were walking through a cornfield one day, pulled off an ear of corn, shucked it, and ate it while it was being the Sabbath. The Pharisees weren't too crazy about Jesus hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. And they certainly did not like the shrewd manner in how Jesus dealt with the scribes, who were the lawyers, and the Pharisees when they brought a woman to him, caught in the very act of adultery. They were looking for Jesus, trying to catch him in a trick bag, and instead of catching Jesus in a trick bag, Jesus flipped the script on them. When they brought this woman caught in the very act of adultery, and they said to him, The law of Moses says she should be stoned. What do you say? Jesus, without even raising his head, starts writing on the ground. They continue to press Jesus about what to do with this woman caught in adultery. Jesus, without raising his head, basically said these famous words, any of you without sin throw the first rock. Now, what many of us tend to do is interpret that as meaning if you've never committed a sin or if you've never committed anything wrong, you throw the first rock. But that's not the interpretation in the Greek. The interpretation in the Greek is a particular kind of sin. So literally what Jesus is saying, any of you who have never done what this woman has done, throw the first rock. And the Bible says that they started leaving from the oldest to the youngest. Here's the thing with Jesus. Jesus was too wise, too smart, too shrewd too clever, too intelligent, too astute, too sharp, too perceptive, too knowledgeable, too alert, too discerning to have the wool pull over his eyes and to be placed in their trick bag. They did not know how to handle Jesus. They could not define who Jesus is. They did not like how Jesus handled this matter. And when you read the passage in its entirety, you see them questioning Jesus's heritage, identity, and paternity. Isn't this interesting? Doesn't this sound familiar? They were using their privilege, their religious privilege, to justify their superiority over Jesus. They were using their cultural privilege to demean and despise Jesus. Isn't it amazing what privilege can be regardless of being religious, cultural, racial, gender, or sexual to make someone feel superior while belittling others by making them feel inferior? But yet Jesus didn't fall for any of this. May I suggest this is the issue with what we are witnessing in society today when police officers engage in oppressive brutalities against black and brown bodies. May I submit this is the problem with white supremacists who spew vicious and vile statements about people of color and our allies, our co-conspirators in this fight for freedom, justice, transformation, and equality. In other words, they don't like us. Well, When we tell the truth about us, they don't like it. They don't like us based upon the racial constructs that were formulated during the 1400s as the Atlantic slave trade was being born. This was the beginning of the issue of race where the color of skin will become the defining essence of one's humanity. This is where the problem began when black skin became a disqualifier of inclusion into the human equation. White supremacy and its offspring, white privilege, have assigned a negative sociological and a dysfunctional anthropological stereotype to people who look like me due to the color of skin. If a person is a white supremacist, if a person is a white racist, then that type of person will not like my kind and they will not like me. This type of person will not like my hair that goes from nappy kinky to straight and thin. This type of person will not like our skin tones that go from midnight jet black to nearly doggone white. This person will not like our thick lips and our broad noses. Therefore, when a person has this negative inclination because of race and skin color, they will encounter a black person and when they encounter a black person, they will think the worst about a black person and treat them as such. They will not believe them because they think they are less than human. So like the Pharisees did with Jesus, they would think we lie. So when George Floyd tells the truth about his inability to breathe, you keep your knee on his neck. For eight minutes and 46 seconds. When Philando Castile tells the truth about being able to carry a gun legally because he has a permit, and as he reached to show his permit, he's killed anyway. When Brianna Taylor and her boyfriend Kenneth Walker were sleeping in their apartment as Louisville police officers broke into their home and executed them, then the officers turned around and lied, claiming they had made the announcement they were the police. When Ahmad Arbery is just jogging down the street, minding his own business. When two white racists, a father-son tag team, uh, Travis and Greg McMichael, call him the N-word and shot him in cold blood. When Rashad Brooks, who just happened to be a little lit, who could have walked home, I had the police officer to drop him off at home But he is shot after a scuffle While he is running away from the officer And Elijah McClain was heading home From a local convenience store in Aurora, Colorado When police officers put him in a chokehold And killed him because he looked suspicious They don't like us because of the color of our skin just as the Pharisees didn't like Jesus because they could not tell from whence he came, And when you tell the truth, they will not like you. As a matter of fact, there might be some people listening to me right now who certainly do not like me because I'm trying to tell you the truth of what God will have for us to know. You know why I say this? There have been numerous instances of a white person having done the same thing and that white person still has his or her life. They don't like black people. Then there's something else to consider. While they may not like us, some people don't like the truth. (laughs) Not only do they not like the person telling the truth, they don't like the truth itself. Some people, not only have issues with those who speak the truth, but they have issues with truth itself. Again, you got to know the context of the text to appreciate this statement. The Pharisees did not like the truth Jesus had shared. Jesus was reminding them of some truths they did not want to hear. Jesus had basically shared with them How you could be a slave to sin and inform them that whom the son sets free is free indeed. The Pharisees responded by saying, Abraham is our father. Abraham is our progenitor and we've never been in bondage before. However, it is very apparent that the Pharisees, Forgot their history. Their ancestors spent 400 years in Egyptian bondage to Pharaoh. And a liberator by the name of Moses had to come and set them free. They had to constantly fight the Philistines while they were in the land of promise. They had to deal with the onslaught from the Assyrian Empire. They were taken into exile by the Babylonian Empire. And at the moment of the text, they find themselves dealing with the oppression of the Roman Empire. They failed to realize they were in bondage themselves. So Jesus had to remind them that their past, that their history was not so wonderful, was not so glorious, was not so rosy. This is how some people are when it comes to highlighting the past of the United States of America. That phrase, make America great again, is really a false rejoinder of a past that never was. There's never been a time when America has been great. There is nothing glorious about the days of slavery. There is nothing glorious about the establishment of the Confederacy. There is nothing glorious about about the days of Jim Crow and segregation. They are some people who don't like the truth and like the days of Jesus. The truth being shared about the condition of our world is upsetting some folks. So voices are being raised against the viciousness of police brutality and systemic racism and white supremacy that have created People who don't like the truth. There are some people who don't want to hear the truth because the truth hurts. Author Robin D'Angelo, in her groundbreaking work, White Fragility, Why It Is So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism, gives great insight to the truths that some people don't like. The reason most people who stay who will state all lives matter is because unfortunately our society has been organized around whiteness. So for them, whiteness is the center of what is normal, good, and even universal to the point where white people don't have to think about the color of their skin, where white people do not have to navigate racial constructs. However, People of color, especially blacks in America, have to deal with race all the time. So when whites are confronted with race, they will withdraw, defend, cry, argue, minimize, ignore, and push back to regain white racial position camouflaged by white privilege, and this is what Robin DiAngelo calls white fragility. This sounds just like the Pharisees of Jesus' day who was dealing with Pharisee fragility or religious fragility or theological fragility. When Jesus went beneath the surface and called out their arrogance and their privilege, they became enraged. They did not like the truth, especially when Jesus said... Their father was not Abraham, but their father was the devil. We see this as truth about racism in our systems, institutions, and structures that are being called out like never before. The protests in the streets is lifting this truth. The rallies in our community are lifting this truth. The meetings with political and economic leaders are lifting this truth. We must deal with racism and white supremacy throughout the various structures and systems and institutions of our society which continue to benefit white people at the expense of people of color. And people don't want to hear this truth, especially from the pulpit. The truth is, wealth of America was created by 246 years of free labor from my African ancestors. And when black people were freed from slavery, the truth is they had nowhere to go. The truth is they did not get 40 acres and a mule, but somehow we built our own settlements where we created some semblance of wealth until it was stolen. All you got to do is think about what they did in Tulsa and in various parts of Florida and yes, the state of Mississippi. The truth is, all people have prejudices and biases, but white people can systematically act on theirs through the institutions of politics, economics, education, housing, and socialization. The truth is, the wealth gap between African Americans and white Americans have expanded exponentially over the last 40 years, where the net worth of the white family is 10 times that of a black family. The truth is, white supremacists and white racists have been emboldened by 46 minus one being in the White House. The truth is, black lives do not matter in this country as we continue to witness black and brown people being killed by the police after George Floyd's death. We have come a long way, but we still have a long way to go. Finally, lest I bore you too long, some people just do not know the true and living God. (laughs) Jesus creates a major issue for the Pharisees when he tells them, Abraham is not your father, God is not your father, but the devil. Jesus says, in so many words, if you can't convict me of a sin, if you can't convict me of lying, then do so. But you don't believe me, and I'm telling the truth, and here is why. If you were on God's side, you will listen to God's word, but you're not listening because you don't know God. Uh-oh. Here comes the bombshell. Uh-oh, here comes the upsetting of the apple cart. The Pharisees thought they knew God, but here they are ready to kill Jesus. Here's the shout of the text. In order to hear from God, you got to know God. But to hear God is not a matter of being able to discern or make out audible sounds, but to hear God is to obey the commandments of God. So when the Pharisees reject Jesus, it is a clear indication they did not belong to God. They had pretense, but they did not know who God was. Howard Thurman, in his book, Jesus and the Disinherited, contends, and I quote, those who live as our neighbors as objects of missionary endeavor and enterprise without being at all willing to treat them either as brothers or as human beings uh, is a problem. In other words, when we think of persons who are sick, suffering, or struggling as just another chore that must be attended to, another task that must be managed, another problem that must be solved rather than as another person who is created in the image and likeness of God then we as Christians then we as church folks have engaged in the same Pharisaic attitude that was displayed in Jesus' day and like the Pharisees we got to deal with our own religious privilege. You cannot know the true and living God, you cannot claim to know the true and living God and allow certain actions to take place in your life. You can't know the true and living God if you support the institution of slavery. You cannot know the true and living God if you think that God favors the Confederate states of America who wanted to maintain slavery. You cannot know the true and living God If you believe that God has no problem with police brutality, white supremacy, or any other form of oppression, you cannot believe and know the true and living God if you accept the contention that the KKK is a Christian organization burning crosses. You cannot know the true and living God if you participate in the religion of nationalism and patriotism where the United States flag has more of your allegiance than the cross of jesus christ you cannot know the true and living god if you put more faith in 46 minus 1 than you do in the risen savior jesus christ you cannot know the true and living god if you actually think and believe That Jesus is some blonde haired, blue eyed white brother rather than knowing that he is an Afro Asiatic Jew who is most likely my skin complexion. You cannot know the true and living God. Eight minutes, 46 seconds. Eight minutes, 46 seconds. Eight minutes. 46 seconds. Rudyard Kipling has a poem called If. And the last stanza of that poem goes something like this. If you could talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings, nor lose the common touch. If neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you, but none too much. If you can feel... The unforgiving minute. If you can feel, eight minutes and 46 seconds worth of distance run. Yours is the earth and everything in it and which is more, you'll be a man, my son. 846. Eight minutes, 46 seconds. George Floyd's life has more significance than the 8 minutes and 46 seconds that Derek Chauvin's knee was on his neck. However, I want to maintain, because George embodied the truth, there are some things that are happening in this world right now. The truth is more than George saying, I can't breathe. The truth is more than Floyd Calling for his mother. Even with George Floyd's shortcomings, he did not deserve to die. Even with his shortcomings, he knew the truth. He knew the real truth. He knew the personal truth. He knew the living truth. And it is that truth that has transformed George Floyd's death into a moment of liberation and redemption for this country and this world. Because of George Floyd's death, Black Lives Matter protests took place in all 50 states and in many countries around the world. Because of Floyd's death, protests are still going on. Because of Floyd's death, police departments are banning the use of the chokehold. Because of Floyd's death, local governments are creating task forces to deal with police reform and social justice. Because of Floyd's death, police officers were charged with his death. Because of Floyd's death, Breonna Taylor's death was brought to the national light. Because of Floyd's death, the Louisville City Council has banned no-knock warrants. Because of Floyd's death, some cities are calling for the shifting of dollars from police departments to social services. Because of Floyd's death, greater accountability is being done within the police force. Because of Floyd's death, school boards and universities are severing ties with local police departments. Because of Floyd's death, Confederate statutes are being tumbled. Because of Floyd's death, Mississippi finally got rid of that damn Confederate flag. Because of Floyd's death, Walmart has stopped selling guns. Because of Floyd's death, uh, Juneteenth became a paid holiday for some of y'all. Because of Floyd's death, leaders of businesses had to resign because their racist comments came to light. Because of Floyd's death, the NFL is contributing $250 million to social justice efforts because of Floyd's death NASCAR banned the confederate flag from their events thank you Bubba Wallace because of Floyd's death people are having tough conversations about their racist ideologies and their white privileges and because of Floyd's death the evangelical conservative white church is being called out for its complicity when it comes to racism and segregation as far as our society is concerned no can the white church of America be found guiltless and spotless in 8 minutes and 46 seconds George Floyd died 8 minutes 46 seconds George Floyd gave up the ghost but I want you to know that truth still lives on and I want you to understand The truth that still lives on. That truth is not a proposition. Truth is not a statement. Truth is not an explanation. Truth is not communication. Truth is not a declaration. Truth is not a presentation. Truth is not a report. Truth is not a disclosure. Truth is not a recitation, but truth is a person. Y'all got to excuse me, but my soul done caught on fire. And I want you to know that truth is none other than Jesus Christ. And when you know that Jesus Christ is the truth, then it allows for you to be able to to have great significance because Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life no man comes to the Father except by me because Jesus is truth wherever he shows up he'll make a change for the better whenever Jesus shows up and gets in the midst change has to take place and i don't know about anybody else uh, but i'm glad uh, that because of eight minutes and 46 seconds uh, has made a connection uh, with john 8:46, uh, truth will make a change uh, in our world today uh, i'm glad uh, that i know this truth by the name of jesus christ uh, and it's this truth uh, that allows for me to stand uh, and allows for me to speak up and allows for me to speak out about the yields of our society. Uh, this truth uh, will change darkness into light. This truth uh, will change despair into hope. Uh, this truth uh, will change anxiety into assurance. Uh, this truth uh, will change ashes into beauty. This truth will change sorrow into joy. Uh, This truth will change shame into grace. This truth will change grime into glory. This truth will change misery into mercy. This truth will change fear into faith. This truth will change hate into love. This truth uh, will change a nothing into something. This truth uh, will change a nobody into somebody. This truth will change bondage into freedom. This truth uh, will change pain into power. This truth will change death into life. Uh, this truth uh, will make 846 uh, eternal significance. Uh, and I don't know who I'm talking to, uh, but because you're connected to this truth, That's known as Jesus Christ. Uh, Your significance uh, is connected to Him. Uh, Thank you, George Floyd, uh, for your life. Uh, But I'm glad uh, that your life uh, was connected to the one who is life. Uh, And because it's connected, uh, a change is going to come. Thank you, God, uh, for George Floyd. Uh, But hallelujah. I want to thank your God for your son Jesus Christ who gives us the significance that we have because I am connected to him I am somebody because I know he's the resurrection and the life death does not have the last word because I know he's peace in the midst of confusion he's joy in the midst of sorrow he's lived in the midst of burden he's my breakthrough in the midst of a breakdown because I know who Jesus is I can give God praise. Y'all got to excuse me. My soul that caught on fire and my Mississippi has slipped out. But George Floyd knew the truth of Jesus Christ. George Floyd may be dead, but the truth is still alive. And because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone because I know he holds the future and life is worth, the fight is worth, the battle is worth, the struggle is worth just because he lives. 46 seconds, short time, has been transformed into significance because George Floyd knew truth and because that truth has given lift to his death. I want you to understand that ultimately, the only way that you and I can have significance in this world that will allow for us to enjoy the world to come is through none other than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is truth. And when you have Jesus Christ in your life, when you have Jesus Christ in your life, and the truth of the Holy Spirit speaks to you. He convicts, he convinces, he brings about change. If that ain't happening, you may not have truth. If that's not happening, you may not know who God is really in the pardon of your sin. But I want you to know that if you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can have that truth. And that truth will be with you for the rest of your life, changing, convicting, convincing you to become your best self. I want to lead you in a prayer, prayer of new life, prayer of a brand new start, a prayer of change. This type of sermon that was preached today, you ain't going to hear it in too many white churches This sermon that was preached today, you're not going to hear this at certain churches in this area. But it's the truth. And this is what is known as the prophetic edge, the prophetic witness of the African American church. This is just how we do it. Some people may be offended by it, but truth will offend. Some people may be been out of shape about it. But truth would do that to you. But if you connect to Christ, you know Jesus Christ, then you know this word that has been shared, it's truth. And I want you to know this truth for yourself. So here's the deal. If you want to connect with us, decide today to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're watching us on YouTube, type salvation or email us at connect at stpaulsbbcnc.org. If you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior on the phone, call the church office, leave a message, or email us at connect at spbcnc.org. Decide today to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior on the website. Click on salvation. And if you would type salvation in the chat window, one of our digital ministers will get in touch with you and let you know the next steps. I want to lead you in a prayer, a short prayer of new life, of a brand new start. And if you want to join the church, St. Paul Baptist Church, just click connect and you can follow those prompts as well. Usually we would do all the work, but we need you to help us because we're not able to meet together. So we need you to, if you make this decision after this prayer to come and be a part of our church, we're still accepting people as a part of the fellowship of St. Paul, even though we're not meeting together as a congregation. So if you would, bow your head and repeat after me this prayer, all who are watching and all who are present. God, I thank you for Jesus Christ being the truth as far as life is concerned. I want to know that truth, and I want to know the power of, of Jesus' resurrection. I need a savior. I've messed up. I've fallen short. So God, forgive me of my sins. I want Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. Send your Holy Spirit and help me be the person you want me to be. In the name of Jesus I pray this prayer. Amen. If you prayed that prayer sincerely, if you meant that prayer in your head and your heart, salvation is yours. Is it really that easy? Yes, it is. You're not saved based upon your works or anything you do. You're saved based upon your faith in Jesus Christ through grace. You're getting something you don't deserve. If you meant that prayer, you want to connect with God as your creator, Jesus Christ as your elder brother, salvation is yours right now. If you want to join the St. Paul Church and join us as far as the work of ministry and mission is concerned, concerned, you're more than welcome. We would love to have you as part of our fellowship. If you would, follow the prompts that have been shared. Reach out. Make that connection. I guarantee that by 5 o'clock this time tomorrow, someone would have contacted you and let you know what the next steps are to become a part of the fellowship of the St. Paul Church. Thank you for joining us. I'm going to ask that as we prepare to leave from this place, but never from the presence of our Lord, that God's grace will be yours. And now to him, who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the presence of his joy, so our wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore. Amen. When it's time to praise God, you can't play with it. Let it flow from your heart. And I thank God for the rock today. I thank God for his presence. I thank God for his power. I thank God for his don't believe. I don't believe that he brought me this bar to leave me. You ought to tell somebody.